So, what up? We're back here at the Biohacker Summit in Toronto, and I'm here with uh, Louise and Tyler from Keto Gains. So, Hello guys. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, awesome to finally meet you in person. And uh, how have you found the conference so far? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's, uh, I'd say, a little different on the topic uh, that we normally like uh, like to talk about because mm-hmm. it's not really uh, focused on body composition, but more so mm-hmm. on the mind aspect. Mm-hmm. of uh, either the apply, uh, how to apply a ketogenic diet or other dietary approaches Absolutely. to improve uh, cognition or uh, lifespan, etc. But yeah, it's a very interesting convention. Yeah. And uh, so far, I'd say one of the best organized that uh, I'd say we've been this, in this year. Yeah, right? it's, a really, it's been a really high-end affair from start to finish, which yeah. is great to see. It doesn't look like corners were cut to <laughs> yeah. save a whole lot of expenses. So that's great. Yeah, that's cool, yeah. Of course, yeah, like you said, that it's slightly different from body composition and bodybuilding purposes. But mm-hmm. I also like always think that bodybuilders are actually like the OG biohackers in a sense. In a they, way, they, yes, they, yeah. they are they're actually knowing how to manipulate the physiology and mm-hmm. to actually achieve certain goals. The goals are different, mm-hmm. but the methods are really the and, cutting edge and thing. And understanding the puts and takes. So understanding that investing over here requires compensating over there and appreciating sure. the fact that there is a... biologically no such thing as a free lunch either right Mm -hmm. i mean ultimately you sacrifice one thing for another you know Mm -hmm. looking something like uh um um you know like a racetam compound or something it's great for nootropic benefits but it also you know depletes acetylcholine so now you've got to be even more intentional with respect to the diet so i mean there's always these kind of games but to your point, bodybuilders and powerlifters have been playing these games for years, just not so much for the mental effects, but well, to squeeze another centimeter out of a bicep. So, in, in, uh, a, in a way, a lot of the supplements that bodybuilders use are really not to gain muscle, mm-hmm. like pre-workers and so, are mostly for reduced um, yeah, perceived fatigue. Yeah, right. So that you can same. get one or two extra reps, it's not really muscle related, more so mental related. Yeah, for sure. So in a way, they are very much, like you said, the original biohackers <laughs> yeah, without true. knowing that, of course. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what, like we, I think we can safe say that the myth of that you can't build muscle in keto has been debunked for sure. Like you guys are have seen great results in the keto against community. And uh, uh, but I would like to say like it's 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 like a it's still a method, but it's a method of many. So why did you choose to do the keto against method, or why did you choose to do the keto diet to build muscle and to you know? composition in your body in um, in the broad sense of thing is uh, I'd say in my case uh, because of the simplicity and uh, because it helped me control calories even without uh, counting mm. uh, like uh, yeah to put it in another way you have a little bit more leeway right free, free. Uh, and you, you you don't want to be that much exact a lot of people can you know uh, do what we call lazy keto and get great results or you can optimize and count everything and get even better results i'm not saying that keto is the best diet to build muscle but for certain situations for certain types of personalities it can be the best version for them so like in in my case yeah in in my case for uh, like for example like um i was first overweight then i went through a period of anorexia because i was afraid of regaining and i also like so it's very easy to not eat. I mm-hmm. did basically 
not intermittent fasting, but I'd say stupid fasting. Right. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah, I lost weight, but the wrong type of weight. And um, with keto, what it helped me is basically eat for my macros, uh, not uh, be overly hungry, and not hungry in the way that uh, they said it today, Ben Grenfell said it, and I agree very much with him. If you want to lose weight, there comes a time where you will have to experience hunger. Right. It's a given. Yeah. Just come to peace with exactly. it. Exactly. That's yeah. part of the process. The but there's a big difference between having physical hunger and having cravings, um, you know, uncontrolled cravings like, like uh, sometimes we uh, experience, especially when we are on a high carb diet of overly processed foods, which are these like, um, I'd say more like a nudge or a compulsion to overeat right. that I've seen with a lot of uh, females or uh, bodybuilders, that especially if you do, you know, cyclical style dieting mm -hmm. where you have the cheat meal. I see a lot of people happen to me just waiting for the cheat meal. Right. Like you are looking forward to it as if it was the most important thing. And really, no, the most important thing is being, you know, uh, consistent with the training and with your macros. Mm -hmm. And in a way, uh, keto helped me, liberate me from that. All right. So on the, on the one hand, like from my perspective, I think most folks know my story and I was going to die if I didn't do something. So it was just one of those things where it was... It seemed reasonable. The science seemed to support the idea. And with a background in research science and biochemistry, I mean, you look at it and you go, a lot of this, you have to have a lot of carbohydrate to live is nonsense and it's yeah. clear nonsense. So why don't we see what happens? And so I kind of kept approaching it as like a science experiment because I basically had stared over the ledge of the abyss of death <laughs> for way too Can long. Can you like briefly give a back some breakfast? So I was 505 pounds, so I'm terrible at doing that. It's like 220, 250 kilo. I don't know. Wow, yeah. Well over 200 kilo. Um, when I started this, um, full-blown type 2 diabetes, absolute sheer misery for life. I mean, we'd get winded tying my shoes. And doctor said, you're as healthy as a horse. The problem is you're also as big as one. Hmm. And so, you know, ultimately just decided to see what I could do. And so I have history of strength training. So it kind of was like returning to your homeland. So to speak. like, I kind of went back to that place. I kind of started in a functional training space because it was a whole lot more approachable when you're that large to just right. throw a medicine ball or <laughs> do a wall squat or something where you're braced and supported because you twist the wrong way at that kind of weight or you fall the wrong direction and there goes an ACL and a meniscus and you know, mm. everything else. Um, so in that, you know, that sort of vein, I kind of came to it because I thought this would be a fun experiment just to see what would happen. I was kind of playing with house money because I was going to die <laughs> if yeah. I didn't do something. And so went down the path and it just sort of worked out. Um, but I do, you know, kind of circling back to the comment about keto and muscle gain, I would actually argue that keto is probably not by any stretch of the imagination the most effective way to put muscle mass on. Sure. But the truth of the matter is everything is about context. So exactly. at what cost? If you want to maximize muscle gain, then we know that your macro should be the injectable kind, not, yeah. <laughs> not the kind that you take orally necessarily. You know, we, we should look at all elements of that conversation and pursue excellence, but excellence comes at a cost. People that are exceptionally well gifted in specific athlete, you know, athletic endeavors, for example, some of the best sprinters and basketball players in the world have some of the poorest ankle and, and hamstring flexibility mm -hmm. on the planet. 
Why? Because that's what makes them super bouncy when they go up and they jump or when they explode out of a block. Everything has a consequence, some positive, some negative. Um, every decision, every choice, every genetic panel or, or profile, whatever, like it all does. And I think you can absolutely build sufficient and even impressive muscle in keto. You just have to accept that maybe it's not optimal, but you're optimizing or prioritizing to some degree more other elements of your life, like long-term health and and that sort of thing. And, you know, that's to some degree debatable, but to Luis's point, different personality types will kind of gravitate to different places. And a lot of the folks that we deal with, um, you know, they're comfortable in this dietary approach. They're comfortable in understanding that they have a... a, a a difficulty in limiting when they start eating very sugar heavy foods they can't have a slice of pizza they can't have a cookie they can't yeah. have a one thing it becomes the entire container it becomes the entire box of pizza it becomes the you know the, the three-foot party sub sandwich yeah. becomes all theirs you know because there is this weird compulsion around sugar for that person so when you look at stuff like Stefan DNA's work they probably have a higher dopamine response relative to somebody else it's not it's not their fault, but it is their responsibility, right? right. They still have to manage that. And, and a ketogenic diet coupled with resistance training is a really good strategy for those folks to to do that and to build enough lean mass that they can reintroduce some level of, of insulin sensitivity back into their lives and that sort of thing. So Another, I'd say, uh, important factor is that it may not give you maximal gains, but it give you enough gains. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And, and those gains are mostly lean. I know that some people in the fitness community say that it's better to just walk. Mm -hmm. I am, and, and I know quite a few uh, trainers in the evidence-based crowd that think very much the same, that it's best to just uh, do lean gains. Mm -hmm. And by lean gains, Gradually. I don't mean, you know, the intermittent fasting uh, protocol. Right. What I mean is more so have more uh, slower gradual gains which are uh, allow your body and uh, your persona to adapt mm -hmm. to the increased calories mm -hmm. versus just going all the way and eating you know a thousand yeah. extra calories a day in the end probably you're going to gain more muscle but also at the expense of gaining a lot more body fat and then you're mm -hmm. going to have to cut mm -hmm. and that is uh, for a lot of people especially those that come from being overweight it's something that doesn't play right in their heads right mm -hmm. for example for me that's something that i didn't like get fat, then cut. No, like if, if I myself want to get a little bit fat, it's going to be up to 30, 40% body fat. And then I cut a little bit mm -hmm. up to 10 or 12 or so. And then those are like a small cut and box cycles where you can maintain like a good physique all year round. Mm -hmm. exactly. And then the increase in calories, the lean bulking method would be between 100 up to 300 calories a day. So it's just basically a pre-workout. Like a workout shape, not really going overboard and eating like a pig for for a lot of days. And yeah. again, people confuse total weight with uh, being more muscular, and it doesn't happen like that. Yeah, I would also add one comment to that too, which is to say, lots of people operate under this illusion that they're going to be, you know, the next David Beckham or the next, <laughs> uh, you know, the next Usain Bolt or the next uh, Ronnie Coleman or the next. The truth of the matter is. Very, very, very few people have the genetic capacity to be those individuals. For sure. 
let alone the desire and the drive and, and you know, the opportunities to develop that fully in their lifespan or their life cycle. All about will long exactly. You know, you, so, so I think that the reality is people will talk about how it's, you know, what's optimal or what's maximal or whatever. And I think that in the construct of something like a biohacking event, that's an interesting conversation to have. But again, there's puts and takes. And so it's not fair to take somebody who may be, you know, has a, a an unhealthy relationship with food or unhealthy support mm. system around them in terms of dysfunctional sort of uh, enabling or codependent relationships around them and say, hey, we're going to do this thing where we allow you to eat like whole sheet cakes every day <laughs> until to Luis's point, you get to 30, 40 pounds. That's the maximal way to get muscle on you. And then we're going to put you in a cut and we're going to put you at 30 grams of fat a day and ratchet your protein through the roof, you know, because truthfully, the psychological elements of that are super, super challenging. And for people who don't have the right genomic sort of expressions and, and the right, you know, the, the right genetic profiles in general, all you're really doing is inviting in that person neurotic, dysfunctional eating mm -hmm. and delusions of grandeur about what they're actually going to do for themselves. Yeah. And that's a hard conversation to have with somebody who wants to be a stage athlete when you look at them and say, hey, you don't have the genetics, and even if we load you full of every anabolic and every fat-burning compound known to mankind, you don't have the frame, you don't have the muscle attachments, you don't have the lever angles, you you will not look like Ronnie because you are not built like Ronnie. Even exactly. when Ronnie was very lean, you don't look like him. You're not six foot four, you're probably not going to be a sprinter, you know, you're not very, very thick and with a huge aerobic base, you're probably not going to be a world-class soccer player. You're not going to be a football running back. You're not going to, those things are outside of your reach. Please make peace with that and then come back to the table with a reasonable discussion about what you want to do with diet and, and exercise and training. Do you want to push the max and sacrifice long-term health? I mean, are you cool with dying at 62 of heart hmm. attack and diabetes complications, diabetes, whatever? Like, if you're okay with that, sure. we'll talk. But uh, it's unfair for any coach on the planet to allow somebody, it's, it's, it's unethical, right. to allow them to operate under the delusions that if they keep throwing money at the coach and they keep, you know, that the coach is going to get them to some level that their, their physique and their potential just simply will not permit them to get to. Yeah. It's always like a good, good point is that the context is so specific <laughs> and the context of the individual as well, like what are the goals and, and so on. And, and especially if you go a layer deeper than the context within the ketogenic diet itself is also quite relevant. Like there's, you know, different ways of doing keto and uh, the, the therapeutic way of doing keto isn't necessarily optimal for body composition exactly. and, and so on. But you're, you're playing with the lesser of two evils, right? Yeah, less, you, less you, let me consider, do I do I want to have a child whose growth is slightly stunted as compared to his or her peers mm. because of you know deficiencies of amino acid or protein intake? Um, something that we can address with GH injections and, and that sort of stuff down the road? Or do I want my child to suffer, you know, from chronic, you know, inflammation, brainstem injury, et cetera? It's like there's a really simple, pretty bold line where that answer is 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 easy it's you know let's eat that keto and we'll figure out how to deal with the fact that my kid's five foot five you know after the fact if you're a family of six foot two people it's going to be a little peculiar but mm. you know 
hey, he's not dead and he's, you know, got a master's degree from Rhodes or like, that's a great story to tell. <laughs> but, you know, but, but again, everything is context dependent. If you're dealing with somebody who's in oncologic care for cancer disorder or cancer, you know, a diagnosis, if you're dealing with somebody with neurodegenerative, you know, history or somebody who's got a very, very high risk of developing a neurodegenerative condition, you know, cut that protein up, that fat, deal with the consequences. The same mm. kind of thing with, with children that are epileptic. Everything all the time. But yeah, again, those people have been dealt the, excuse the expression, but a shit hand by genetics or by consequences or life or whatever. The truth of the matter now becomes, okay, how do we best deal with this situation for this individual at this moment in mm -hmm. time? Screw the future, <laughs> screw the past. What is the single best thing that we can do for that individual and for people with dysregulated eating? Right now. You, we can control hormones and control calories as a proxy, you know, in a, at the same time, or make it more tolerable to control the calories by also regulating the hormonal responses to the content of those calories. We circle back to keto is a reasonable approach. Mm -hmm. It's not for everybody. If you're not a, if you're not somebody who enjoys fatty cuts of meat, if you're not somebody who enjoys, you know, lots of, of non-starchy vegetables, mm -hmm. you know, you're somebody who lives for potatoes. First of all, it's kind of sad, but secondly, <laughs> the, the reality is that person probably isn't well suited for this, but when their health potentially becomes so compromised that they don't have a choice, you'd be surprised how, you know, it's sort of a Faustian bargain. You, you right. will eventually come back to realizing that it may be too late, it may not be, but there's only one way to find out, which sure. is, you know, chronic overconsumption of carbohydrates seems to be specifically problematic, you know, for the health outcome of people, yeah. even if they can get away with it into their 40s or 50s. Yeah. Yeah, I want to come back to the body composition aspect of that. Sure. You know, like, uh, uh, within the world or within the ketogenic diet, how can one still maximize body composition and muscle building? Like, how, how can you manipulate the keto diet with like macros or other strategies to kind of still get yeah. to the genetic potential? The first, uh, normally when people say to me that they are not really progressing and they're doing keto and they, they, their goal is uh, uh, do a low-carb diet to get some of the benefits of low-carb or keto, but also they're training because they want to improve their body composition, gain muscle, lose body fat, etc. So it's first, okay, let's see what you're doing. And normally the main errors that I see is that they are fasting for too long, mm. uh, probably not ingesting adequate amount of protein. They're using mm. probably the therapeutic approach to keep to doses and having in a like, yeah, uh, limiting their protein intake more than they should. Right. Uh, fasting again, uh, not managing proper hydration and electrolyte intake and doing uh, the wrong type of strength training as well. Like yeah. they want to either get super huge and big or get better results by just doing calisthenics. Yeah, because yeah. They, they think that, like, again, there, there's this like idea that you can do everything like with nature. And so you should be doing, you know, yeah. calisthenics and just like body weight training. I don't want to go to the gym because I don't want to get that big. Like it doesn't happen like that. There's certain like I've been trying for a long time. I yeah, walk like, through next to the big guys, and nothing happens. Yeah, there are yeah. things that are optimal for certain uh, to get certain results, and so it it applies to certain types of training. What you have to eat, when you have to eat, 
uh, fasting has a place, but it's not probably the best approach for strength training. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, you can do in a way both fasting and strength training and do keto, but it has to be, again, adjusted. Mm -hmm. But like those would be basically the main three or four things that I see with clients that come to us or people who ask me. They're, I'm not getting results. They're fasting too much. They are restricting overly, well, more than they should the protein intake, and they're doing their wrong kind of training. Yeah, yeah, it's, you, know, you know, it's it's funny. It's it's not even just that they're not resistance training in a lot of cases. In a lot of cases, they'll have picked up some idea that maybe they can do like a Wendler program or something, and somehow that's going to magically make them super mm -hmm. huge. And the problem is, when you're doing fairly low volume, high intensity work, for example, you have to have the training base and the capacity to pull you know, to push, to move enough weight that lower volume training actually helps, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're somebody who's pushing half your body weight as a bench press, for example, yeah, you, you need a more traditional sort of a base strength program, something like a five by five or maybe a, you know, a three by eight or a four by eight type program that's really predicated on trying to increase your total you know, strength and endurance in that muscle tissue and really build that mind-muscle connection between when I do this movement, I engage the following muscles in the following sequence and the, sort of those, those neurological adaptations to strength training that we call newbie gains or whatever we want to call them. Where people get off the rails a lot of times is they see, people say, I added 150 pounds in 12 weeks using this program doing big heavy triples on deadlifts. And I want to say... <laughs> That's cool. When you're pulling three times body weight for a deadlift, come back and we'll work on something where you're basically doing a couple of sets of warm up and then banging out heavy triples or, or big doubles or whatever. But that's not the point when you're dealing with a middle aged soccer mother or a, you know, like a kind of past his prime dad bod guy who doesn't have any basis or any background in muscular strength. Again, to the point of context, the program itself, whether it's resistance-based or not, has to meet sort of that client or that individual wherever they happen to be in terms of their context and their, their goals and their lifestyle. Um, and I think, you know, the macros tend to follow suit. You know, the macros tend to, tend to both affect and also be affected by how that person lives their life. And the same thing with training. If you've only got 30 or attributed to training, I can't put you in sort of a high volume, you know, hour and a half, six day a week sort of a program. I can do it, but after about six weeks, you're going to stop going. You're going to hate life. And I'm going to, if you stay and keep going, I'm going to break you. I mean, you know, I'm going to go full on Ivan Drago. You know, I'm break you. Like there <laughs> will be a point where the person will literally, and we've done it to ourselves, right? Yeah. I mean, we were doing some German volume training stuff a couple of years ago. And I distinctly remember I was about five sets in the fifth rep on a set of 10 by 10 of squats <laughs> i racked the weight and i laid in the floor and i curled into the fetal position and i cried and i mean like sobbing baby tears about absolutely nothing for about wow. 15 or 20 minutes and i called Luis, and there were a whole bunch of swear words thrown <laughs> around about how i was never going back to the gym you couldn't drag me you couldn't pull me you know there's not a man alive who could make me go back in there except this guy right eventually i went back that's what happens when you actually overtrain and you mm. actually burn a person out 
And I do sometimes wonder if the combination of people not understanding how to set macros around a lifestyle for an individual and also having coaches who really, it's that issue where if your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. They don't really understand how to scale up or scale down or just shift modalities for a client around their goals, but also where they are in their fitness journey as well. That's the other side of the coin. I don't know that it's just a keto unique problem. We can talk about the, the keto specific challenges that we see, but proper hydration and electrolytes, proper macros, proper training modalities and scaling. That's a paleo problem. That's a mm. vegan problem. That's a CrossFit problem. That's an everybody problem. It's that we, shall I say very bluntly, we have a lot of incompetent people or a lot of very competent, but very siloed people mm. in this space who really only understand their type of person who's gone through their type of problem or their type of lifestyle and wants to do their type of training. And so it becomes this issue where you become almost futile in nature. If you kind of consider like the Japanese cultures of old, right? I serve this, you know, I serve under this shogun or, you know, I work in this prefecture or whatever. And you stop seeing the forest for all the damn trees, right? You just can't really appreciate the landscape of, you know, hey, the lady who's having low back pain because she has no abdominal strength and carries herself slumped over all the time. You don't need to put her in a, you know, an 11 millimeter belt with a big old lever and have her doing, you know, one and a half time body weight squats. Let's just start with functional movement, figure out where she's broken and see if we can fix her first. And then when we get her pain free, then we can start talking about resistance modalities. So, yeah, yeah like uh, it's a, it's a good point that is that like most people aren't having so those, you know, the, their goals are so different, and their modalities and their methods will also be different. Yes. And what what would be like these maybe principles in terms of the let's yeah let's let's stick to like the keto nutrition and uh, what what would be some good principles for everyone to kind of remember. When they have, when they're trying to structure their diet for body composition purposes, you almost can't overeat for the, for the macros. For the macros, Tyler <laughs> no, just said it. it does, it's not particular to keto. Any good um, training, like uh, the, the objective of any person who is uh, whose objective is to gain lean mass or strength, would be to eat sufficient protein. Mm. And it really doesn't change whether you are doing yeah. keto or not keto. We normally suggest as a start, point uh, eight. Uh, grams of protein per lean pound, but you can increase to one or even 1.2 grams mm -hmm. uh, of protein per lean pound. And that's yeah. very much what uh, you will find on uh, strength training literature. That's yeah. about like the minimal. You could probably eat, eat more, but let's say that for the context of a ketogenic diet, most people will do very well with this. Mm -hmm. Then, uh, of if course, people are looking for the minimum effective exactly. dose, that's about the Protein minimum is effective the dose. Absolutely. Yeah, that would yeah. be like the, the minimal cutoff. Like you could increase and eat more if you wanted to. There are studies showing benefits all the exactly. way up to what, as Jose Antonio, up to like what, 4.4 grams Basically per kilogram, grams per kilogram. Of lean body mass. I mm -hmm. think it was lean body mass in Jose's yeah. studies. But yeah, either way, but like you know, there more, are benefits, especially exactly. if they're in a hypocaloric diet. Exactly. There are potential benefits, but people hate life and beg to quit when you run the protein. that <laughs> because they smell like ammonia and sweat like racehorses. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Just eat that amount of protein. Then the second would be if you are doing keto, well, then stay within 20 to 30 grams of carbs as a start mm. and then probably you can increase a little bit more of them before or after training depending mm -hmm. on the type and duration of training mm -hmm. 
then the rest of your calories come from fat. Right. And then make all the all of those calories, protein, carbs, and fats, preferably come from uh, whole foods. You know, uh, uh, your carbs mostly from vegetables, your fats mostly from the fat naturally occurring in food, and the protein mostly like, you know, real protein, not, yeah. you know, live on shakes. Because <laughs> I see lots of people that are probably ingesting adequate protein, but are overly hungry, and so they're under or are over and under their macros mm -hmm. because they're like having 100 grams of protein from shakes alone. Yeah. So they're having like four shakes and it's like, but then I'm already hungry or I'm not hungry or, you know, it messes up. Or you have protein farts that exactly. will actually you don't absorb them. the floor. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So it, everything like adds up. Yeah. So basically that yes. would be... So adequate protein, you know, adequate resistance training, you know, I would say probably a minimum three times a, day, a week is the absolute floor. You could argue for two. But I think that's that that's, maintain, that's, that's what I was about to say is you're not really going to see improvement. Mm. You're just going to see, you know, non-loss. So for somebody who's sarcopenic and really doesn't have a lot of time, two days a week, you know, 45 minutes or so is probably going to be, again, the minimum effective dose of exercise. If you're looking to improve a minimum of three days a week is probably necessary. Um, I do think it would be remiss not to say, and this isn't keto specific, but it's a keto problem for sure. People come to keto because they're broken. There's kind of this selection bias that happens because they're not, for the most part, looking at keto because they're totally healthy and life is awesome. They're looking at keto because something is broken in their life mm -hmm. and they're trying to consider alternatives in other directions. Um, and I would say this, a lot of people's problems, I've, I've joked before and I catch crap from, especially from ladies when I say this, but I do genuinely think that a lot of what we diagnose is things like adrenal fatigue is realistically just the inability to say no. Mm -hmm. And so you, you fail to create margin in your life and then you wonder why everything feels so much more difficult because you haven't slept more than two hours in the last eight years. Yeah. And you know, you've got cookies to bake for your daughter's school event and you've got to get your son to soccer practice yeah. in the afternoon. You've got to work eight hours in between. Your husband is that. basically a man child who can't cook for himself and doesn't know how to wash dishes, doesn't know how to do his laundry. So you've got to come home and take care of that. The church pastor contacted you and asked if you could fill in for the next six months to teach the Sunday school classes and also show up to you know, play the piano because he found out you were musical and you can't say no to that and I mean I, I can feel my own anxiety working up as I paint this absurd picture mm. of this sort of mother as an entrepreneur who also works an eight hour a day five or six day a week sort of a job well no shit she's burned out no wonder she, no wonder she's overweight yeah. you say so um why are you so overweight it's due to shame shame explain me that yeah it's um such a shame to let these cookies go bad. It's such a shame <laughs> yeah. to let this pizza yeah. go bad. So yeah, it's crazy. And so it, it creates a sort of guilt and shame spiral where you self-judge as yourself as inadequate. And so there's this whole cascade of stuff. Go to bed. Mm. Say no when you really mean no. Say so that you can say yes when you really mean yes. Because the real shame happens when you say yes to something that you really wanted to say yes to, but because of your inability to say no whether it be to your own choices in food or to go to the gym or whatever, or no to external people coming to you and asking for a piece of your time or more, you know, more stuff, more, more, whatever you wind up in a place where the thing you really wanted to do, you now have to sacrifice on the altar of, I can't say no. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden there's this shame and self judgment. Where do you go when you're under shame? It's a shame to 
Yeah. You know, those cookies screen. go to waste. You yeah. <laughs> Literally, you bury your head underneath the, the TCB wire or whatever in the pull the soft serve handle and let it flow. Like, it's just, it's food and television is a numbing mechanism for being unhappy with the choices yeah. that you're making. But it seems endemic in, in keto and especially in women who are looking to do keto. The hormonal dysregulations are largely lifestyle as much as they are diet and exercise mediated. We can address some of the diet and exercise stuff for sure. But one of the things we do with our clients, it's probably a little different, is we genuinely address helping them to look at dysfunction in their lives in all facets and helping them to kind of fix those areas in their lives so that they can actually say yes to putting themselves first once in a while or telling the kid to go to bed hungry if he doesn't like what's for dinner, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so super, super awesome to see yeah, that it can it can kind of help people to make better decisions, you know, and not suffer, you know, emotionally, not suffer physically, not suffer mentally over having to sacrifice something. Because once you kind of go keto, then you do get used to it a lot, and you actually once you adapt and once you go through the process, then you actually yearn towards being this very strict low-carb keto person not 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 like strict in a myopic sense but strict in a more liberating sense that there, actually gives you more freedom there is in some way yeah. and there is freedom actually in the exactly. discipline of having a regimented process we talk about becoming robotic often in, in terms of eating takes decisions we don't mean you away. don't enjoy yeah. the food what we mean is food gives up its emotional hold on you yeah like you are not so now it's i am free to enjoy this food but i realize that it's the companionship of sitting at the table with friends and family that i actually enjoy Mm -hmm. much more than the steak the steak is tasty but i'm going to be hungry again in eight hours but the relationship i build sitting at the table and asking my child how was your day talking to my wife really engaging with friends about what's going on in their world those are the things that don't leave us, right? Those are the things sure. that stay with us and keep us connected to society and to ourselves and other places. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. Good note to end this conversation with. And sure. I was really enjoying it. Uh, but where can people learn more about your stuff and how to actually do keto with the resistance training? In Basically, you go to uh, internet and look for keto gains. Mm. That's what, where we are. If you want to engage with us, um, you can go on Facebook and just look for the keto gains group. Uh, on Reddit as well, uh, Instagram, basically everywhere on the web. Mm-hmm. Just if it's social media, we're generally we're there. there. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so come check us out. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for watching. Thanks. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind.